Good morning, and welcome to Trinity Wesleyan Church this morning. I'm glad that to see so many of you here, and for the ones seeing it online, I'm glad that you made an effort to join us as well. I'd like to start us out in a word of prayer this morning. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We thank you for this day and just another day and a gift of life. Father, what an opportunity that we have just to come together as the body of Christ and just fellowship with one another. It's been these past few weeks, Father, of, of doing driving church and with a global pandemic going on that I've had a fresh and a renewed perspective on what fellowship means. That it doesn't have to be confined into a building, but we can do it anywhere and everywhere. Father, I also would like to remember the the words of the beautiful song, Though You Slay Me. Though you slay me, though you take from me, and though you ruin me, let us still give praise to you, Father. All of our affliction is meaningful. Father, I also would like to pray for this world. So much pain, there's so much hurt, so much anger. Everybody wants a voice. Father, I pray that your voice would be heard more than anyone's. Again, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity of being able to gather together. Be with us throughout the service. In your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, I know what you may be thinking. I'm definitely not Pastor Mike because I'm way shorter than he is. I understand that. <laughs> I'm definitely not Pastor Lee because obviously he is way better, better looking than I am. Well, to be honest, I am neither one of those guys. If you don't know me, my name is Colby Calloway, and I'm a Christian ministries major here at Southern Western University right down the road. And I'm also an intern here at Trinity Wesleyan Church. I have the humbling opportunity today by Pastor Mike to feel it for him and speak to you today while he is gone. I'm thankful for this opportunity. And I must say that I've never been this excited and this nervous at the, same, at the very same exact time. I also never thought I would be preaching for my first time preaching. I never thought I would be outside uh, on a trailer with sunglasses on. Kind of reminds me, if you know John Wesley and George Whitfield, back to their field preaching days. So today we're going to be in the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, we'll be reading in chapter 13, starting in verse 20. Before I begin today, I do want to place emphasis on the fact that today is Pentecost Sunday. The day of Pentecost is important. The day of Pentecost is important because it is where we witness in Acts chapter 2 that Jesus' promise from John chapter 14 is being fulfilled. Where he tells the disciples after his death that his Holy Spirit would come. The counselor, the spirit of truth, that his spirit would come. Pentecost Sunday is a day of celebration because it's a time for renewal for, Christ, for many Christian believers. Many services across the world right now and all throughout this day are being focused on renewal, on evangelism, 
on empowerment from the Holy Spirit, deeper intimacy with God and fellowship. And I pray that would be our focus today as well. Also, before we begin reading today, I want, to cut this, I want to kind of set the scene for you for today and the scene for the next two weeks. So today we're beginning a new series titled, The Monster Inside of Me. Many of you know that horrible sinking feeling you have when something comes out of your mouth that you did not expect. That is maybe just so unlike you. Did you know that's a reflection of something hiding inside of you? The scary truth is that the words you actually speak and the actions you later regret, your regret are actually in keeping with, with, with what's hiding in your heart. Things like guilt, jealousy, anger, or greed are some of the most prominent forms of this monster hiding, in, hiding within us that tend to make its way out sometimes. You see, if you're anything like me, the monster that is, that is hiding its ugliness on the inside of you very well may be anger. And unfortunately, we always read today that that was the case for one of King David's sons named Absalom. And I also want to give some background context of everything that happens before 2 Samuel, starting in verse 20. Because there's a lot that happens that we need to know in order to make sense of what we're going to read today. So to begin with, we have King David, who was famously known as the man after God's own heart. We also have King David's daughter, Tamar, Bameika, daughter of Tamali, king of Geshur. There was also Absalom, David's third son, Bameika, daughter of Tamali, king of Geshur. And, that, and then last but not least, we have Amnon, David's firstborn, by Ahinoam of Jezreel. You must notice that Absalom and Tamar were full brother and sister, and Amnon was technically their half-brother. So you can say he was a brother from another mother. You see, we see in Scripture that Tamar was regarded as being very beautiful. So beautiful, in fact, that her brother Amnon had developed a love for her. Amnon's love grew for Tamar. And it grew so much, in fact, that it was no longer just love, but it was lust. He began to make himself feel ill. We see in verse 2 that Amnon's love wasn't really for, Amnon's, Amnon's love for Tamar wasn't really love, but it was lust because he couldn't do anything to her because she was a virgin. However, Amnon had a friend, Jonadab, who was a son of Shimea, who was David's brother. Jonadab helped plot with Amnon to be able to get to Tamar. In this plot, he pretended, he pretended to be ill. And in pretending to be ill, Amnon caused his father David over to his house to send for his sister to come over to bake cakes for him. So David did just that, and Tamar came over to cook for Amnon. However, whenever the cakes were finished, Amnon refused to eat with people in his home. So he had everyone to leave. With everyone gone, it was just Amnon and Tamar present in the house now. And Amnon wanted Tamar to bring, to bring the food into his back room. 
And so she did that. And as soon as Tamar began to feed Amnon, he grabbed her hand and wanted her to lie with him. We, see, we find in verse 14 that, Ammon, that Tamar refused to lie with Amnon. But being stronger than Tamar, Amnon violated her and he laid with her. And in today's terms, you could say he raped her. Afterwards, we see in verse 15 that Amnon was angry and hated Tamar with great hatred and told her to leave. And leaving, Tamar put ashes on her head, which during the time you must know, in this culture, it was a sign of mourning. She also tore her long sleeve robe. And again, also during the time in this culture, was a sign that her virginity had been violated. And Tamar went away crying. So I'm giving you background context. This now brings us up to speed to verse 20. In verse 20, we see that Tamar lived as a desolate woman in Absalom's house. So follow along with me now as I read, starting in 2 Samuel chapter 13, in verse 20, and ending in verse 29. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon your brother been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. After two full years, Absalom had sheep shears at, at Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, your servant has sheep shears. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go. Least we be burdensome to you. He pressed him, but he would not go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Then Absalom commanded his servants, Mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear, have I not commanded you? Be courageous and valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and each mounted his mule and fled. You see, what we just witnessed here today is, and starting in verse 1, we see that David, we, we have a King David. He has three children, Tamar, Absalom, and Amnon. Amnon loved Tamar. And he plotted with Jonadab to help, get, to help him get to Tamar. And in getting to Tamar, he rapes her. Because it wasn't just love that he wanted for Tamar, but it was lust. And we see that when King David found out, he was very angry. But there was no justice served. King David does nothing. And so Absalom is angry. It says he hated Amnon. It says he neither, it says he neither spoke of Amnon, neither good nor bad. It says two years went by. And in those two years, Absalom plotted to kill his brother, Abs, to kill his brother Amnon. Bring me to my first point today that I want to emphasize. 
And it's that. Do not let the frustration of injustice fill you with unrighteous anger. Do not let the frustration of injustice fill you with, right, fill you with unrighteous anger. You see, this is exactly what happened here to Absalom. We see in verse 21 that when King David found out about what happened, he was very angry. But King David didn't do anything. When it comes to David, you must know that he was an excellent king. You must know that King David was a great warrior. He was a great ruler. But David was not so great a husband and father. You can see this as you read throughout the course of David's life. And you see this right here, that the proof is in the pudding. David's son rapes his daughter Tamar, and he does nothing. You see, many scholars believe that the reason David did nothing was because he had some inclination that this was a result of his own sin with Bathsheba, with his own lust with Bathsheba. The very same affair that he, has, that he had with Bathsheba. Nonetheless, we see in verse 23, two years passed by. And in those two years, Absalom let the frustration of injustice from his father fill him with unrighteous anger. This brings me to my next point. The harboring of anger often leads to hatred and can cause us to commit terrible acts of sin. The harboring of anger often leads to hatred and can cause us to commit terrible acts of sin. This, unfortunately, was the case for Absalom as well. Absalom begins to harbor intense pain and hurt in his life, and rightfully so, which over the course of two years then begins to fill Absalom with an overwhelming amount of anger. And he has every right to be angry. I mean, his sister was raped and his father, the great King David, supposedly, does nothing about it. You see, I understand. Absalom has a legit reason to be angry, but he handles it the wrong way. We see in verse 28 that Absalom gets Ammon drunk and has him killed. Which again, another side note, many scholars believe that this was a result, again, of David's sin with Bathsheba. He had an affair with Bathsheba, but he also had Uriah killed, and he had him drunk and killed. In the same way, we see this with Absalom, the, way, the same way he got Ammon married with wine and had him killed. See, I want to emphasize here that righteous anger can easily become unrighteous anger if gone unchecked and if not handled properly. Dear ones, if you do like the world says and you make friends with this monster inside of you, this monster of anger inside of you, then in the wise words of my friend Will, it's going to destroy you, your relationship, and eventually your life. You see, if we do like the world, what the world expects of us, and how the world expects us to handle justice, then we would become some kind of Liam Neeson. If you've seen any of the Taken movies, which I don't recommend you to watch, but just for an illustration, if you've seen any of the Taken movies, we see in the, ver- in, the first, in the first movie, when Liam is on the plane, on the way to find his daughter after she is kidnapped, he's on the phone with some man, and he tells the man, I'm going to find you. I'm going to kill you. 
See, this is what the world expects of us when it comes to the injustice and how we should deal with it, and even how we should deal with our anger. The world expects us to hurt them like they hurt us, that we should make them feel how we feel, that we should get revenge. My friends, this is not what Jesus commands us to do. You see, this harbored anger that Absalom had, I believe it was once righteous anger, but Absalom left it unchecked, and he wasn't able to express it in a healthy way, and it took a turn for the worse. We read in Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And sends his rain on the just and the unjust. You say, you may be wondering, well, Colby, how do do we respond to injustice? How do I deal with my anger and express it in a healthy way? Well, Jesus tells us right here in Matthew chapter 5. You see, he's telling us if we give in to angry feelings and try to justify them, the next thing we want to do is act on them and get even. Jesus' point here is don't seek revenge, which is what the world tells us to do. The world expects us to be some kind of Liam Neeson. God is gracious with you, so you God is gracious with you, so you be gracious to others. Treat conflict and injustice as an opportunity for God to bring out the best in you, not the worst. For you to grow in your capacity to share the kindness of Christ. And unfortunately, this is not what we're seeing in the world today. Quite tragically, it's not. It's the opposite. I do want to take time to not really rant or express my opinions with the death of George Floyd, but I do want to emphasize that what the world sees what happened is a white man killing a black man. But as we as Christians, we should not see it through that kind of lens. We should see it as an image bearer of God murdering another image bearer of God. The evil's all around us. You can call it racism, but I call it sin. As Christians, we're called to be set apart. And if there are any Christian that is out there is uplifting the riots and the protest, I would say shame on you because this is not the life that Jesus calls us to. Moving on, a major distinction between righteous anger and unrighteous anger is when you go from seeking justice to seeking vengeance. Those are dangerous waters that you do not want to tread. If you go from seeking justice to seeking vengeance, then you're not going to come out unscathed in some shape, way, or form. You see, this is exactly what happened here to Absalom again. 
And better yet, much like a drug addiction, where an addict just can't get enough and keeps going back for more and even stronger substances, where they eventually are never satisfied. In a similar way, this can also happen with unrighteous anger. You see, we think if we just get even, if we just hurt them like they hurt us, that we would be satisfied inside. That is not the case, my friends. Actually, you're just feeding the monster inside of you. See, Absalom thought he could satisfy his harbored anger. And pain, even, by getting vengeance and taking justice into his own hands. But it actually did the opposite. See, I encourage you to keep on reading past chapter 13, because this story goes on until about around chapter 19. It's a quite sad and devastating story. Because to see how everything plays out in the end. And like I said, I encourage you to read past this because it's sad and devastating. But to sum everything up in the end, so after Absalom kills Andon, he runs away for he runs away for nine years to a city called Geshur. And in those nine years, I assume that Absalom still found no healthy way to express his anger. And actually, the fact that Absalom killing Amnon just fueled his anger. It just fed it. Because after, in those nine years, King David sent Joab to finally go get his son and bring him back home. But see, in doing that, King David also commanded Joab that in bringing his son Absalom back home, he did not want him in his presence. So his son, he wanted his son back home, but he did not want to see him. I can only begin to imagine the pain and hurt on top of the pain and hurt that Absalom already had and how that made him even more angry. So much more angry, in fact, that when Absalom came back, he tried to overthrow his father, King, King David, from his throne. King David fled, but eventually... Absalom was killed by one of King David's generals. See, Absalom tried to become friends with the monster inside of him. But eventually it destroyed him and it led to death. And that's what I'm here to tell you today is that anger, unrighteous anger, if it's gone unchecked and not handled properly, it's going to lead to a death of something. A death of your happiness, of your peace, of a relationship. finally, the last thing I want to emphasize is that not all anger is sinful. Not all anger is sinful. Feelings of anger are normal. We have these feelings because we're made in the image of God. You see, contrary to what much of the church teaches and preaches on, which is God's love, and I agree, God is a God of love, but God is, God, God is also a God of wrath. And wrath being a form of anger. And if we're made in the image of God and God is love, but God is also a God of wrath, then we are allowed to have anger. You see, anger becomes sinful when it leads to resentment, bitterness, and eventually hatred. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 26. We see Paul writes, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. 
Paul's telling us anger becomes sinful whenever we let the, whenever we let the sun go down on our anger. And he isn't speaking literally here, but he's speaking metaphorically as if it's whenever we let the anger harbor inside of us. It doesn't mean literally whenever the sun go down and we're angry, but it's whenever we let it sit inside and fester, in, and fester inside of us. It's whenever we repress it and suppress it. It's whenever we don't express it in a healthy way. My friends, when you do those things, when you let it sit and harbor inside of you, when you let it sit and fester, as Paul says in verse 27, you give the devil an opportunity. And exactly what happened to Absalom. In those two years, he gave the devil an opportunity. He harbored that intense pain and hurt in his life, and it filled him with anger. I also want to share a quote by a man named Benjamin Watson. And quite ironically, I just stumbled upon this last night. Benjamin Watson was, he's a former NFL tight end for the New, New England Patriots. And some sources say that he is a Christian. I can neither confirm nor deny that. But he wrote an article on Ephesians chapter 5 as a response to the George Ford case. And in the article, he writes, At all times, in all circumstances, our actions and reactions are vitally important. As Christ followers, there's a certain way we need to carry ourselves in the midst of injustice. We have a responsibility to do so. Our primary goal in this life is to bring God glory. That doesn't mean we don't address the issues of our day or engage in civic debate. As citizens and members of our specific communities, we should not remove ourselves from the situations that desperately need our attention. It does mean we have a mandate to engage in a way that brings glory to God and ultimately points people towards him and the things he cares about. We're to do so in a way that is different than those who don't, love, to, who don't know him. We're to do so in a way that is different than those who don't know him. Being a Christ follower doesn't mean we get angry. Jesus got angry. God was angry a whole lot of times. But the Bible does not, but the Bible does say, in your anger, do not sin. Do not allow your anger to make you do or say something that is contrary to what you should be doing as a follower of Christ. We're to be justice warriors. But our method in doing so needs to be distinctly Christ-like. To that, all I have to say is amen. Benjamin Watson is exactly right. I'm sure you've heard this many times in your life that as Christians we should be set apart. And it comes to no difference when it comes to, and there's no difference when it comes to anger and justice and how we should handle injustice. Rioting and protest is not it. You may be asking Kobe, well, how do I deal with my anger? How do I express it in a healthy way? Well, flip over to me to Proverbs chapter 14. Verse 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. 
You see, having the patience of controlling your anger and having the patience of trying to understand. You see, it's whenever we let the emotions get the best of us and whenever we don't try to understand. And understanding and controlling our anger, we are, able, we are better able to represent Christ. Flip a, few pa- flip a few pages over to Proverbs chapter 17. Verse 27. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. You see, again, the better we understand and the more we comprehend, then the better we are able to deal with our anger in a non-sinful way. And I'm not saying it before you today as some self-righteous person who can say, I have my anger under control at all times, because I definitely do not. I get frustrated really easily. Ask my fiance, Taylor. Ask my family. See, I'm preaching to myself today because I've dealt with a whole lot of anger in my life. You see, in a home, growing up as a, as a young child in a home of five with two wonderful sisters, a mom and a stepdad who had fallen prey to a drug addiction, I wasn't privileged with a Christian home. I didn't go to church. I didn't have people pouring into my life, showing me the values of what it means to live for Christ as a young kid, and how that should apply to me. This eventually would take a toll on the impact, on the compact and confused brain of mine. You know, I didn't understand why we moved from house to house all the time. I didn't understand why there was always random people over at the most bizarre hours. I didn't understand why we sometimes didn't have enough money. I didn't understand why my mom or stepdad would be gone late at night for so long. I didn't understand all the yelling. I didn't understand all the cussing. And I didn't understand all the fighting. At times I wondered where my sisters and I not enough. There were other times I wondered were we just too much for them. There's so much I didn't understand. You see, not being able to understand as a young child and then growing up as a teenager, it affected me. I saw my best friends and a lot of other friends in school had families that loved them deeply and had a deep family connection, something I've always yearned for and wanted. And didn't have that growing up as a child. It began to fill me with anger because I always wondered why my mom chose me and my sisters over drugs for so long. I began to be angry at a God I didn't even believe in. I began to become bitter. I resented God for so long. Because how, how could he give my best friend two loving parents that would, do, that would give their life for him? Yeah, I had a mom who chose drugs over me. See, I'm not here to make my parents look bad or anything, but I'm here to glorify the redemption, the redeeming grace of Christ. See, I dealt with anger and bitterness for so long, I began to act out. Me and my stepmom got into fights so many times. I was mad at everyone in the world. 
I was mad at God. I went through a stage where all I did was smoke weed and drink every day. But I'm here to tell you, it wasn't until two years ago when I gave my life to Christ, when I said that I was going to live devoutly for him and give everything over to him, is when I experienced the, the finally the freedom and the peace and the happiness that God had in store for me. That even though my earthly parents had failed me in ways that I know my Father in heaven will not and does not fail me. See, it wasn't until I gave my life to Christ when I was able to fully understand why I was angry and that I could give that over to him and that he could give me a new life. And that's what I'm here to tell you today. I wouldn't be justice up here. I wouldn't be doing justice up here today if I just preached a sermon on anger and told you how to correct it. But at all times, we should point to the gospel and the saving grace of Jesus. So my friends, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, or maybe even if you're lukewarm and that you don't really know how to feel yet, I can promise you that he would take that pain and hurt away as he did for me. So my friends, don't make, don't make friends with the monster inside of you. Make friends with Jesus. Don't chase after vengeance. Fall at the feet of Jesus and, face, and chase after him. Pray with me. Father God, thank you again for the humbling opportunity to, to just share your word today and share what you have given me to speak. Father, I just pray people would see past my nerves, my anxiety. And Father, my nerves and anxiety are, are so small in light of the task of sharing your word with truth and accuracy. So Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come alive in people, Father, and that hearts of stone would be, heart, would be made into hearts of flesh. And I don't pray that just here, I pray that across the world, the world is hurting so much anger, so much pain and hurt. People are not expressing in healthy ways or in the right way. Father, have your hand of mercy upon us. I pray for this world that your love would prevail, your, pre your peace would prevail. Father, if, is there anyone here today that doesn't know you or they don't know how to feel about you. Maybe they're lukewarm. They're not, they're not really living fully for you, Father, that they would, they would step, they would make that giant step, Father, that they could experience freedom from all the pain and the hurt they had in their life. They can experience the love that you have for them and the eternal life that you have waiting. Thank you, Father. It's your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen.